Hello, everybody. I'm joined today by the boys, Sam Godsey and Tanner Dislett. I'm your host, King of Turnbow. To everyone out there listening, thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to talk about some winners and losers, then break down football from the weekend. Let's get into it. Welcome to Crunch Time. Before we hop into some winners and losers, we're going to have an honorable mention for the week for winners, and that would be Tanner. During the last episode, we, of course, went through Pick'em's. Tanner went six and zero. Oh. I went four and two. Sam went three and three. Uh, Tanner's now twenty two and nine on the season. He has been off to a blazing start. So we wanted to recognize Tanner as a big winner from this past weekend. Tell you what, it hurts being this smart sometimes, but but uh, we have to push through it. And hopefully, through listening, this knowledge will pass on to you, so you can win your bets. Mister O, Sam, who is your winner from this past week? Yeah, so uh, my winner is actually Iowa punter Tory Taylor and his runners Ivory Kelly Martin and Terry Roberts. Tory Taylor had a hell of a day against Penn State: eight punts for 398 yards, averaging 49 yards, six downed inside the 20, and his long of 53. His first punt was down on Penn State two-yard line. Second was fair caught at Penn State 29. Third was touchback. Fourth down on Penn State three-yard line. Fifth fair caught at Penn State 12-yard line. Sixth was the only one that was returned, and it was to Penn State 32. Seventh down at Penn State one. And the eighth final one fair caught at Penn State's eight yard line so obviously a hell of a game by uh tory taylor and the runners here yeah well we'll dive into penn state iowa a bit more later but tory taylor definitely a mvp of the game for iowa dominating field possession throughout the entire second half especially but throughout the game his punts were tremendous tanner who is your winner from this past week i tell you what uh right now i've, I've got the chargers offense I've kind of talked about it a, a little bit in past episodes. I, I referred to it as the three-headed monster between Justin Herbert, um, Keenan Allen, and, and Austin Eckler. But they just they did it again. They scored 47 points on a very good and very playing very well uh, Cleveland Browns defense. Ball was, I mean, the ball was flying through the air, no problem. I tell you what, last week that Browns defense held the number three at the time, number three ranked offense in, in Minnesota to seven points and, and seemingly couldn't get anything going. And, and this Chargers offense kind of tore up that, that entire defense. So we'll have more on this game later, but, but my, my winner is going to be that Chargers offense for, for how they shredded that, that Cleveland defense. No kidding. You don't see many games that get to such a high score as the Chargers and the Browns. We'll talk about that game a little more in the future. Another game we'll talk about later but I'm going to highlight here as a winner is that of the Buffalo Bills. We talked quite a bit about them last week and it was for a very good reason. They could, they put a complete performance on Sunday night. It was a magnum opus. We talked about them last week, talking about how great their offense is, how they'd scored the second most out of anyone in the league. And they put up 38 points on a soft Kansas city defense, but not only that, but their defense chipped in into scoring. Their defense got a pick six to help out their offense. And not only did their defense score, but was giving Kansas City fits all day. 
turning Patrick Mahomes over twice, who has now already thrown six interceptions, which is the same amount of interceptions that he threw all of last year. I think it's pretty safe at this rate. You can take Patrick Mahomes out of the MVP race. Sorry to past me who claimed that he would be, but this is a Patrick Mahomes that we haven't seen struggle this way in any particular game. He struggled in a, in a few different games this season, but not in this way. It wasn't until the fourth quarter where they broke 20. It's something that we haven't seen in Kansas city under Patrick Mahomes, but the bills are for real. Super Bowl. They're winning the Super Bowl. You heard it last episode. Sam, who is your loser of the week? Yeah, so my uh, biggest loser is Alabama Crimson Tide. They lost to an unranked Texas A&M with a backup quarterback. Yes, that is possible. And that's all I'll say on that. We'll talk more about Alabama later. Tanner, your loser from this past week. I'll tell you what, here, here I'm lumping kind of two, a player and, and a team together because seemingly they were playing for the same goal uh, on Saturday, and that's Texas and Spencer Rattler. Um, a, Texas, again, this is a game we'll talk a little bit more about, but Texas had a 21-point lead and was simply dominating the game in the first half and even had leads in the second half and lost. That's a hard one to swallow, especially in such a big rivalry game such as the, the Red River rivalry. And then Spencer Rattler. I mean, he has struggled all year long and a preseason Heisman candidate, and, and he's just played terrible, plain and simple. He has not played good football. When, when he got pulled, Oklahoma was losing by a lot. And his backup, Caleb Williams, seemed to be lightning in a bottle and sparked the offense in ways that Spencer Rattler hadn't all year long. So uh, they, have a, they have a quarterback controversy over in, in Norman, and uh, Spencer Rattler may have just lost his job. Spencer Rattler was definitely, if not the favorite, a favorite and for him to come into you know trying to fill in some of the big shoes of the people that have come before him down in the quarterback room in Oklahoma several Heisman winners coming out of that quarterback room he's been a major disappointment and Texas well at least Oklahoma got the win my loser for the week very briefly I'm going to throw out a stat about kickers Going into Monday Night Football, it, in this week, in week five, there have been 12 missed field goals and 12 missed extra points. In just week five alone, 12 of both. There was one game in particular we'll talk about here soon where it had five missed field goals. That game obviously carried this stat, but still. This was the worst week for kickers since the extra points was moved back in 2015. This was the worst week for kickers that we have seen in a long time, potentially even ever. I tell you what, obviously these numbers are alarming, but it feels incredibly weird to be sitting here on a week where kickers struggled so much. But the Minnesota Vikings kicker <laughs> made a 50-yarder to win a football game. Hell, hell's freezing over, man. Something's wow. not right in the world. Wow. With that stat, if I didn't know how the Minnesota game ended, I would have thought, of course, the Vikings probably would have chipped in one or two. But, man, what yeah, a world we live in. Don't worry. Greg Joseph did, in fact, miss one. And they, he added hey, a little bit to go. the to the missed field goals. But. He made it when it mattered, and that is something that Minnesota Vikings fans, as I know all too well, cannot say often. 
Mm-hmm. There, there are quite a few games that we want to talk about here. So let's talk about it. We're going to go ahead and hop into Oklahoma, Texas first. Tanner, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? I just, I tell you, I talked about it already, but I, I have to highlight it again. The struggles of Spencer Rattler for me is the, is the big, big takeaway because that was the game. When he was in, the Oklahoma offense did nothing. They haven't all year long, but particularly this game, they did nothing. This is a Texas defense that you can score off of. We saw it when Caleb Williams came in. They didn't stop anything. Texas defense has been scored on in the past, and Spencer Rattler couldn't command this offense and score efficiently the way Caleb Williams could. And that is incredibly alarming if you're, a, you're, you're an Oklahoma fan because now you got this quarterback controversy that you didn't think you were going to have when you had a preseason favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Yes, it was an incredible game. Yes, Texas choked the game, and that Oklahoma defense stepped up when they needed to, getting a few key stops towards the end of the game. But Spencer Rattler, like I said, when he was my loser, this is the big story for me coming out of this game. I think if I have a main takeaway from this game, it's that my picks are cursed. Uh, I I picked Texas last week, and uh, we, as we get later into the season, we'll start recapping some of our early season predictions. Quite a few things have gone wrong for the people that I've predicted so far this year. But I don't think anything has been as baffling to me as this particular win for Oklahoma. I picked Texas uh, from last episode. And when (laughs) Texas proceeded to get outscored 35 to 10 in the in the second half after being up 38 to 20, (sighs) maybe I'll get some of these picks right eventually. Sam, we're going to throw it over to you for Arkansas Ole Miss. What happened in this game? What was your biggest takeaway? Um, my biggest takeaway has to be that Ole Miss and Arkansas don't know how to play defense. Uh, both teams, both teams had over 600 yards. Arkansas nearly 700. Arkansas had 676 yards. Ole Miss 611. Now we know why Arkansas got murked by uh, Georgia last week and Bama dominated Ole Miss. So, yeah, the biggest takeaway for me has to be that uh, terrible defenses on both teams. Very rarely but during a game involving two teams do you draw a takeaway from a third-party team, but this kind of or, – or third and fourth-party teams. But that's kind of what happened here. Just shows how damn good Alabama and Georgia's defenses are. Because last week, these two teams, Ole Miss and Arkansas, combined for 21 points. 21 for Ole Miss. Mainly in garbage time, zero for Arkansas. Offenses could not seem to get anything going. We talked about the struggles on fourth down, drive stalling. In Arkansas, they only had, I think we took 160 yards of offense. And they combine for over 100 points and 600 yards each when they play each other. These are, these are good offenses. Like we, we saw it happen. Georgia and Alabama are different on defense. I think my biggest takeaway was just how much can change in just a few weeks. Because two two weeks ago, prior to the Georgia-Arkansas game, we were talking about how not only Arkansas is explosive on offense, which we just saw again last week against Ole Miss, even in a close loss, but just two weeks prior, 
we were also talking about how great their defense was and how Tanner predicted that Georgia would win handedly. I picked that Georgia would win in a close game, and I believe Sam took Arkansas. But Georgia rolls over that defense that held Texas A&M to 10 points and Texas to 21 points. But Arkansas beat Texas A&M, who just beat Alabama. It's strange how much can change in just a few weeks. But that's college football. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Alabama moving forward. We're going to hop into that game. Sam, Alabama and Texas A&M. What was your biggest takeaway from this game? Honestly, look, at just watching the game, it felt like A&M was kind of taking it to uh, Bama. Uh, backup quarterback. Yes, backup quarterback. Zach Cazalda, 21 for 31, 285 yards and three touchdowns. Given Bama had 522 yards and still ended up losing this game. So it was a great win for AM and more importantly, moved up Iowa to number two. Yeah, Tanner, do you have anything to add on this game? Just with, with that Alabama offense, a big takeaway for me seemed to be an inability to get in the end zone. Um, as Sam said, 500 plus yards of offense. Yeah, looking at this Alabama team, they came out slow. How many times have we ever said that on a Nick Saban coach team where it didn't look like they were adequately prepared to come out hot? That is something that seemingly never said about Nick Saban. I'm sure, I'm sure he's he's taking it hard on himself that he, that he didn't get his players ready to play. Of course, the players also shoulder some of that blame, but only 10 points in the first half. Alabama did not come out ready to play, and, and they cost them. And for reference, in case you're wondering, this game was 24 to 10 at halftime. Over in Iowa City, the 122nd ranked offense who seemingly couldn't get anything going, they had 10 at halftime as well. That was a 17-10 game. So, Alabama's defense was something that was interesting for me in this game because we did talk about how great Alabama's defense was, being able to slow down that Ole Miss offense that just put up points and points on Arkansas. And then they turn around here this week and allow over 40 points. Uh, The last time that happened was in a shootout game last year in December of 2020 between Alabama and Florida, where Florida put 46. The problem was, is that Alabama put up 52. So the, the last time you have to go to where Alabama put allowed over 40 points and a loss was November of 2019 when Joe Burrow and LSU put up 46. This isn't something you see very often with a Nick Saban program. Tell you what, interestingly enough, though, it makes that what everyone thinks is going to be that that Alabama-Georgia SEC championship game a must-win for Alabama. I mean, this kind of showed that uh, Bama is human this year, and – it's and, it's gonna be interesting to see how the SEC plays out from and, here on. And that kind of goes back to a past segment. I know we had posted a little bit on social media about Sam and I thinking about that just some, something seems right for Georgia. Bama's looked human. Georgia has not. So take that for what it's worth. Georgia and Alabama, that will be must-watch TV. Now let's talk about a game we've been we've hinted at a few different times, throwing a particular team under the bus in relation to their backup quarterback uh, talking about how electric the offenses were 
in this game, in which, of course, that is dripping with sarcasm. Penn State and Iowa. Tanner, what was your biggest takeaway from the Nittley Lions coming into Iowa City to play the Hawkeyes? Well, the biggest game in the Big Ten so far. There's no debating that. The, the number three and the number four, the, the two best teams in the Big Ten so far. I mean, Ohio State has already lost to Oregon, Michigan, and Michigan State while undefeated, having played the same quality of opponents and having gotten the traction that Iowa and Penn State have. It was a huge game for bragging rights. But one of the moral of the stories that I came in with was that the loser, it's not the end of the season. The loser would still control their own destiny as Iowa in the West with Wisconsin has two conference losses and, and over in the East Penn state, if, if they lost, they still have to play Michigan, Michigan state and Ohio state. So they would control their own destiny in that regard. It seemed to be not a catastrophic loss if it happened, but Penn state left Iowa city with a question mark at quarterback. And that's huge. It, it really is because I, I mentioned the quality of opponents up ahead for Penn state and they need to win those games. To get in to get to Indianapolis and get that rematch against Iowa. But with that question mark, it, it that's the big storyline for me. Is is what's going how is the rest of this Penn State season gonna play out with the health of Sean Clifford unknown? Penn State isn't the only team that's had quarterback issues against Iowa. So far in the first six games of the season for Iowa, five of the opposing six starting quarterbacks have been benched for one reason or another before the game's end. The only quarterback that survived the entire game was that of Colorado State, in which Iowa struggled to get the offense moving to begin the game, and Colorado State was able to hang around a little bit to where they didn't feel like they needed to take out their quarterback. But that Iowa defense, that is something to be scared of. Sam? What was your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway was how rowdy uh, Kinnick Stadium was on Saturday night. Uh, I think, honestly, that played a huge uh, role in the Iowa victory. Um, Taquan Roberson came in, um, and the Iowa faithful ended up causing three false starts, pushing them back to their own one-yard line. And honestly, if Iowa crowd didn't show up like that i think we'd be uh, talking about a different result here it's true because taquan robertson he's someone that penn state does believe in he's the backup quarterback for a reason and in a team game where one where the quarterback position is so critical to his team's success you need to have someone behind your starting quarterback who you think can take over lead the team to Whatever needs to be done. Uh, Duquan Robertson is a true freshman, uh, not redshirted. He's somebody who's supposed to develop into a great weapon for Penn State. But for that Iowa crowd to be as stifling as it was, uh, there was somebody in the press box who recorded how loud the stadium was. At one point, Kinnick Stadium peaked out at 122 decibels, which for reference a jet taking off. If you were to stand next to a jet taking off of a runway, those big old engines that they have, 120 decibels. Right before the game started, there, were a fl- there was a flyover where four jets went over the stadium 
And Iowa, the crowd was loud at that point, but it wasn't peak yet. It was really hard to hear the Jets, even at just a lower volume. So Kinnick was loud and rocking, and something else was rocking, and that would be that Iowa defense turning Penn State over four times, four different interceptions from two different quarterbacks, two apiece from Clifford and Robertson. That was the big takeaway for me of this Penn State offense is likely the best offense that Iowa has faced so far this year. And to be able to, before Clifford went out, to turn him over twice, and then their backup comes in, turn him over twice. For Iowa's defense to rise and shine again in a top-four matchup, that was a big key to success for the Hawkeyes. One more thing I'd like to add about, about the crowd noise is uh, we talked about the false starts and obviously those are huge in installing a drive, uh, moving a offense backwards, getting them behind the chains. They're, they're big in that regard, certainly, but they carried a little bit more weight in this game. When, when both offense seemed to be struggling, they were valuable, valuable yards of field position that were lost. It seemed like to me, at least, I don't know, Almost all of those false starts were inside their own 20. Keep backing them up, backing them up. And now the punter had to kick from the back of the end zone. So that was, like I said, valuable field position because there was one stretch. It was there was a there was a, a penalty on a third down play where they were stopped, and Kirk Ferentz decided to accept the penalty and backed him up. And then before the snap on third down, third and long, there was a false start again, forced the Penn State punter to punt from his own end zone. Wasn't the longest punt. I think it was like 37 or 38 yards. Iowa started with the ball on their on the Penn State 45-ish, mm-hmm. decided to run a big play action, which led to the game-winning touchdown. So that crowd directly impacted the field position game, which in turn directly impacted how that Iowa offense ran and, and the game. Mm-hmm. It was during that stretch of time, in the, during those penalties, one of the false starts, the crowd was so loud that the the – referee on the field was blowing his whistle and the play was snapped and was ran for nearly five seconds. The referee had to run Mm -hmm. out in front of the ball carrier because of how loud the stadium was. The players on the field could not hear the whistle being blown. That was how loud it was. And as as we talked about huge, it it was really big in in leading to that last Iowa touchdown. Mm Mm-hmm. Sam, anything else to add on this game? Um, I mean, I know Twitter is buzzing. If Sean Clifford uh, didn't go out, Penn State would come home with the win. Let's not act like he is having an immaculate game. He was t- 15 for 25, 146 yards and two interceptions. The only reason he was looking good was number five, Jahan Dodson, ran a bunch of screens and carried it the ball for 15, 10 to 15 yards. So, and what happened to the next man up mentality? So I don't really understand that argument. I mean, Texas said it'd be Bama with the backup, like I said in the previous segment, but I think that argument's not really valid in this situation, but. Agreed. And, and I kind of have, if I could piggyback on that a little bit, a, the statement, if, Clifford doesn't go out. Penn State wins this game. Is that true? No one can say, but there's a good chance it is. But we can't deal in that territory because dealing with this notion of luck, 
that Iowa got lucky. Okay, that was a good, clean hit when you had a free runner on the quarterback. Do you think a Big 12 defense gets that hit on Sean Clifford? No, this is a good defense, that a good physical defense that makes good plays and gets good hits on people. Is he trying to injure him? Absolutely not. No one's trying to injure anybody. It was a good, clean hit. But when you are a good physical defense that hits hard, this is a possibility. You don't want your quarterback to get hurt. Protect him. This is a good physical Iowa defense. Okay, It wasn't a non-contact lucky injury. No, this was a hard-nosed defense that put a hard hit on an opposing opposing team's quarterback that easily couldn't have been prevented. So luck, not even a little. Yeah, just coming off the injury statement, can we talk about Penn State about having 18 injuries uh, throughout the game, all within uh, laying on the ground for about 10, 15 seconds, popping right back up, sitting out of play, and then coming right back in. I saw uh, Franklin saying, oh, I think it's uh, BS, basically, that the Iowa fans were booing. Well, when you have, I don't know his name, number eight on Penn State, he goes down, pops right back up, does a little jump up and down on turf, seems fine, doesn't even go out for a play and is back in. Uh, so that's when I was there. That's when I started booing. I think it was a little early for the first injury, but that's another thing that's a little controversial in this game as well. Yeah, and there was no doubt that – there were some serious, not serious injuries, but there were actual injuries, I should say. There were some actual injuries. Obviously, Sean Clifford and that interior lineman, I can't remember his name for, for Penn State. He went down and he didn't return. He was kind of on crutches on the sidelines. Um, those didn't seem to be the ones that, that were booing. It was the ones, as you said, Sam, where Iowa seems to rattle off a 10-plus yard run and, and that defense is a little bit on its heels. I know Iowa doesn't play a tempo, but why do players why, – why does anyone call a timeout in basketball? It's not, not necessarily because they're – it can be because they're running up and down the court and you want to change the tempo, but you just need to stop the game. If, if some team had a free timeout – if we had a free – Iowa had a free timeout every time Penn State had a, had a big play, this game will look a lot differently. So, obviously, it's a slippery slope, and, uh, and Iowa doesn't run the highest tempo offense, but it was big for momentum because momentum is a real thing in sports and, and a, kind of a free timeout after every big play is, uh, is big. Iowa is currently ranked second in the AP poll and in the coaches poll, which is their highest ranking since 1985. Is Iowa the second best team in the country? I'd say I would overall. No, I don't think they are. Um, but that defense I think it's up there with Georgia in this one. Uh, both have been super dominant. So defensive-wise, yes. Offensive, can't say the same. Tanner, what you got on this? No. Simply put, no. Iowa's not the best. This is not the second-best team in the country. But is that how rankings work? No. Rank- rankings are not who is the best team in the country. Rankings are a combination of talent, of eye test, of resume, of deservedness, all rolled into one. So does Iowa deserve to be ranked number two? Yes, they do. Are they the new number two team in the country? No. They definitely have a top resume with having three top 25 wins on their schedule, 
at the time of playing them. And one of which being a top five win, there are not many teams out there that have a resume like Iowa does. Second might be a little high, but the fun thing is as the season continues to go on, we're going to find out just what I was made of with that. We're going to switch over to the NFL. We're going to start out with one of the more interesting games here, and that would be the Lions and the Vikings. We're going to go to our resident Vikings fan, Tanner. What happened in this game? It almost seemed like Minnesota complacency because for a majority of the game, Minnesota was absolutely dominating. Not much was, was – the Lions couldn't get much on offense – Minnesota seems to be moving the ball pretty well and they'd get to about midfield and it just seemed like the play calling for me at least was way too conservative. There were so many times where there was a second and eight or, or third and five and Minnesota was running the ball in the third quarter. It was very perplexing so much so that on the broadcast, the announcers made a comment of that the players, the personnel of the Minnesota Vikings offense have played really well, but the play calling was letting them down. That is the announcers who said that about the game. And Twitter, of course, we, we all know what Twitter is, but verified ESPN employees that write for the Vikings were talking about how the play calling needs to change because this cannot continue. But with all that being said, they were still up 10 in the fourth quarter when Greg Joseph lined up for a 49-yard field goal, the one I referenced before that he had missed. And oddly enough, he just left it short. It was an incredibly bizarre kick right down the middle, but left it short on 49 yards. Uh, Detroit got the ball back, went and, and, and kicked a field goal, of course. And then and then the when Minnesota got the ball back to run out, run out the clock, Alexander Madison fumbles giving Detroit the ball back. They march right down the field, score, and then go for the two-point conversion and lead with 40 seconds left. It all literally just seemed like an absolute blitzkrieg. And, and Minnesota, still in their complacent, dominating-the-game style, was shocked. I know I was shocked, but it looked like every, everyone in the stadium, everyone on the sideline was just shocked. And if, if Cousins didn't... Didn't uh, come up with a few big completions and, and have have a few timeouts to allow those completions to happen. And of course, you got to go ahead and step up and make the 50 plus yard field goal. If that didn't happen, this would have been, I think, the most embarrassing loss, not only uh, that the Vikings have taken, but the most embarrassing loss of any any team I root for, because this the way it all handled, the way it all played out, it would you'd be hard pressed to find a more embarrassing loss than this. But it didn't happen. Minnesota won the game. From a personnel standpoint, I was pleased. I thought Minnesota dominated. Coaching standpoint, I was very, very irate. Sam, do you have anything to add on this game? Yeah, I mean, I think Tanner hit on the spot. It seemed this game shouldn't have been as close as it was the way the Vikings were just dominated on the personnel side, just bad play calling. It seems the Lions just forgot how to play defense the last 48 seconds, which ended up costing them game. But overall, a good win by the Vikings. Uh, it was a lot closer than it needed to be, though. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, <clears throat> talk about leaving too much time for Aaron Rodgers. Don't leave too much time for Kirk Cousins. <laughs> if you say so. It didn't work out for the Lions this time anyways. 
Uh, speaking of the Lions, I do want to offer my condolences to their franchise. There's not a lot of teams I feel bad for in the NFL. And I don't even necessarily feel bad for the Lions franchise, but specifically for their head coach. Uh, head coach Dan Campbell, a rookie head coach. He hasn't had a head coaching position up until this year when he was hired by the Detroit Lions. Uh, in the post-game conference with you know, various reporters and whatnot, the dude was very emotional talking about how he just wanted this for his team, how they fought and they've been so close in so many games in week one, they lost by eight to the 49ers after storming back from a big deficit in week three, they lost to the Ravens by a record setting field goal from Justin Tucker. Obviously Tanner talked about what happened here in Minnesota kicking a large field goal to put them ahead. This might be one of the best 0-5 teams, one of the best winless teams, not only in the league, but that we've seen in a long time, considering how close they've been against quality opponents. The 49ers in week one, they didn't have any injuries at that point in time. That was a good team then. The Vikings, they're better than the record shows. They're you know three, four plays away from being undefeated. The Ravens, that's a good team. It took Justin Tucker, not only the refs missing a delay of game, but it also took Justin Tucker an NFL record-setting long field goal to put them ahead for the win as time expired. This Lions team has been through thick and thin, but I think they have the right guy for the job. Now they just got to start putting a roster together for him to coach. Yeah, I really hope the Lions front office sees that too. I mean, you, you mentioned watching that that press conference. It's it's his first head coaching job. And when you devote your life to a sport as much as anybody involved in the NFL has, and you come in and, and you take over a team with no expectations whatsoever, and you put together the season they have, as you mentioned, the losses they have, the, the missed call costing them a game, uh, seemingly the only voodoo worse than Minnesota kickers at the end of a game is that of the Detroit Lions. And, and all of that rolled into one. Uh, it's a lot to take at a time like this. And, and I hope the front office sees how much Dan Campbell cares, how much he cares about the, the sport, the, the Detroit Lions franchise and his players. And uh, hopefully they see that and, and give him a stick with him for a while. Cause, cause he looks like he can, he can do a really good job over in Detroit. We're going to stay in the NFC North for this next game. And that would be the Packers and the Bengals. Now, a little bit about me and how I watch games. I, I've been blessed to where, at least from an NFL perspective, that I trust the organization and I trust the coaching staff <laughs> to make the right decisions. <laughs> I, especially co- I especially trust the quarterback that the Green Bay Packers currently have. So whenever things aren't going quite right, there's, there's, there's some trust there saying, you know what, whatever happens in this game, we're going to be in a position to win the game when it's all said and done. I have never watched an NFL game like this. I have never had my blood pressure so high in an NFL game. I talked about kickers and how there are some losers. Let me tell you what happened in this game. 
Mason Crosby going into the fourth quarter had a streak of 27 consecutive made field goals, his career record. He missed a 36 yarder with 2:14 left in regulation. Then we go back over to the Bengals with Evan McPherson, who hit a game winner against the Vikings earlier this year, who hit a game winner against the Jaguars earlier this year. Evan McPherson, a good kicker. Doinks off the right upright from 57 yards out with less than a minute on the clock for the go-ahead. Not good. Green Bay gets the ball back, gets Crosby in range. He lines up for a 51-yarder earlier this year against the San Francisco 49ers. Hit a field goal that was about the same distance. Just barely misses it to the left. In overtime, Joe Burrow throws an interception. Mason Crosby lines up for another field goal. 40 yards out this time. Misses again. We go back to Evan McPherson, where they're able to get him in range. He misses a 49-yarder, barely to the left. Except... In McPherson's mind, he did not miss that field goal. As the field goal barely missed off the left upright, he jumps into the center's hand, into the center's outstretched arms. He thinks he's hit it. He thinks he's gotten the game winner. I can't even imagine the disappointment when you realize that you just celebrated a missed kick. It goes back to the Packers. They get Crosby in range. Crosby's only saving grace in this game was that he hit a 49-yarder to win the game. This was a bad game for kickers. In the press conference with Aaron Rodgers, he said that both teams tried to give this game away, and the Packers just so happened to be on the right side of a game where neither team deserved to win. But like we've said, deserve doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, i tell you what, I, I personally uh... – understood how how mcpherson thought that kick went in i know i've seen actually some reaction videos on twitter and i personally he put it in the air it was right down the middle and then out of nowhere just takes that turn left uh seemed to be a gust of wind on the packers side as they need more i don't need to talk about that any anymore there's, there's, but, a, there's a bunch of fans on west side stadium just yeah that see there you go there you yeah. go part of that uh that ownership group but mm-hmm. but with that being said uh like you said, kind of, kind of felt like if there was ever a game that deserved to end in a tie, it was this one. After one million missed kicks, <laughs> teams, the teams still playing for a field goal. I understand the turnovers. Turnovers are something that that can happen in when when you decide to to play for a touchdown over kicking a field goal. But my goodness. How many times do you have to see it? And at this point, when you roll the dice, what's more likely to happen, a turnover or a mistake? And frankly, I'd have a hard time telling you, I'd have a hard time if someone told me that a turnover was more likely to happen. So, mm-hmm. so I don't really understand it from that lens. But, but like you said, both teams tried to give it away. Packers, of course, seem to be on the winning end of it. This game remind me of uh, those old school Buffalo Wild Wings commercials when they <laughs> want to force overtime. I mean, tell me I'm wrong. No kidding. That was fantastic. Joe Burrow. Uh, best of luck to his recovery. He was hospitalized after the game for a, a throat contusion. So best of luck to him and his recovery. Dude is a baller. Him and Jamar Chase, that is a lethal connection. Uh, another lethal player I want to throw out before we switch over to the next game. Devontae Adams. He caught 11 passes for 206 yards in a touchdown. 
That was the first 200-yard game of his career. It, it takes a lot to get to that point. Hard to believe that's the first 200-yard game of his career. But yeah, right. Anyway, a hell of a game as as we seem to say every week for for Devontae Adams. Yeah. We're going to transition over to the last game of the week that we're going to talk about. Sunday night football, the Bills and the Chiefs. This was a game that many of us were circling on our calendars, especially when we were talking about last episode, talking about how great this Bills team actually is. Going up against Kansas City, the team they lost to in the AFC Championship last game. What a great measuring stick for the Buffalo Bills. And boy, they did not disappoint. Tanner, what was your biggest takeaway in the Bills-Chiefs game? First off, I just want to – just what a statement. You talked about a good measuring stick. Just a big, big statement for the Bills to prove we're the, we're the team to be in the AFC right now, and it showed. But one, one thing I would like to, to point out, in this game particular, this game in particular, we talked about how both sides of the ball on Buffalo were playing really well. But one of them was getting opposed – by a dynamic offense in the Kansas city chiefs that we talk about the chiefs are going to be the chiefs. They have more weapons than you can imagine. They have Patrick Mahomes, who's arguably the best, best quarterback in the NFL. And that defense stepped right up as they have all year long. And I personally thought this game was going to be a shootout and thought that just which team can outscore the other with how the, the chiefs defense has played so far this year. But the Bills defense said, no, 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 we're here to play. Turned, turned uh, Mahomes over a couple times, even got in the end zone, Micah Hyde, former Hawkeye. Anyway, it, it, it was just a statement all around, and, and they played well all around. It seems like the Bills have are destined to go to Super Bowl. They took care of Mahomes and that offense. I think uh, it's almost – it's time to start hitting that panic button for uh, Kansas City. We're seeing them slowly becoming human. Mahomes has not been his typical superhero type self. Uh, They had problems on the rushing game. I think Patrick Mahomes was actually their leading rusher. Um, Two fumbles lost, two interceptions thrown. It's a tough game for uh, Kansas City, but like Tanner said, that Buffalo Bills dominated on both sides of the ball, uh, and it was a big win, big statement win for Bills. After the Chiefs won their Super Bowl, something that I said, and I don't know if you guys remember this off camera well before you know we started doing this podcast, uh, something that I was concerned of is I did not want what happened to Aaron Rodgers following his first Super Bowl, it's currently only Super Bowl appearance. The way the Packers running game disappeared, the way the Packers defense disappeared for years, trying to have Aaron Rodgers be the only way that the Green Bay Packers succeeded. I didn't want that same thing to happen to such a great talent in Patrick Mahomes. With all the free agency moves and some of the signings that they had in the offseason following that Super Bowl, I was thinking, okay, they're, they're, they're signing some defensive players here. They're signing some offensive tackles. They're drafting a great running back in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, or at least who we thought would be a great running back. That fear is starting to come to fruition because that defense suspect. Patrick Mahomes was the leading rusher on the team? I didn't even know that, and it just adds to that argument. The Kansas City organization 
if you can't make any moves this current season needs to make some changes soon because you cannot waste a talent like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes uh, had 61 rushing yards. Uh, Daryl Williams had 27. So he was uh, the lean rusher by about 30 yards. So it wasn't even particularly close. Do we have any uh, final thoughts for anything before we wrap up today's episode? Just a crazy week of football. Wild finishes, some some big games in, in the college football side. I know and that, that Ole Miss-Arkansas game in the Red River rivalry, what a great great way to start heading into number three versus number four. And that game certainly didn't disappoint. And then over on the on the NFL side, the, the craziness that was Minnesota, Detroit, and, and Green Bay and Cincinnati. And then in, in the afternoon games, uh, Browns-Chargers, and then, of course, on to, on to last night. It was a, an incredible weekend for football. Saw a lot of surprises, a lot of statements. And uh, don't forget – do not forget your number two Iowa, Iowa Hawkeyes. Do not forget that they're ranked higher than Alabama Crimson Tide. That's all I have to say. Doesn't that feel good? That wraps up for today. Thank you all so much for tuning into the pod. We appreciate your support. The clock has run out on this episode, but we'll see you in the next one on Crunch Time.